Welcome, everybody, to the Hammer and Rails podcast. With you, as always, I'm your host, Andrew Ledman. And I'm shopping for shoes. <laughs> See, if you listen to the last episode, you know that I do all the work during the podcast. Casey does online shopping and eats loud, noisy food. That's me, guys. Uh, so there you go. Let me uh, sip to- on my Coke Zero. <laughs> I am also drinking a Coke Zero, although mine Ooh. has mine has Malibu rum in it because I'm a fancy boy. Ah, I, yep, still not drinking. Sorry, just hey, just boring and sober. No, you know what? You never have to apologize for not drinking. It's going to be tested in like two weeks. Yeah, that's true. I would imagine teaser number I two. Would tease, every week we're going to tease a little bit more. I want to hear you in the comments if you can figure Put them out together. what's going on. Yep. Like we're gonna have a movie. super cut. We're gonna have super cut, <laughs> and everybody's gonna have to make a guess. Um, so that could be co- your first uh, project when you learn to edit. There you go. Uh, so Hit we're number three. You, <laughs> we're coming to you after Purdue's victory over the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Cornhuskers. Woo! Final score forty-three to thirty-seven. Uh, Purdue again finds a way almost to lose a game that they were up by seventeen at one point. Um, never, never a dull moment with Purdue football. We're going to talk about that in the second half of the podcast, but in the first half of the podcast, wanted to talk about a little, uh, a couple other Purdue related things and have a little more fun at the top. So Purdue volleyball, uh, granted they lost today, but they played, um, mm. I know, I know, but they played IU over this weekend as well. Uh, they beat IU, I believe it was in five sets, but the Purdue volleyball account, always a good account to follow, tweeted this after they lost 20. 20- seasons of our coaching staff with purdue 20 straight wins versus iu oh and i like and that is just that is astounding that's a lot of like that's domination yeah like i don't it doesn't even matter the sport Mm -mm. to beat your rival 20 times in a row is just incredible it's a lot that's so they play once a year mostly um i it yeah it sounds that way maybe in a tournament every now and again that's like two decades i was I was just getting out of middle school. Yeah. Which means yeah, a lot was, to me, probably not to other people, but. Yeah, not not a lot to most people listening, but I mean, th- you know, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. so 2002. Well, some would argue with that, but the, you know, by the by the legal standard, yes, you are an adult. I pay taxes now, Ledman. <laughs> That's true. That's true. We can't speak to what happened maybe 5 <laughs> 6 years ago, but you know, you have paid taxes recently. So, I mean, 20 st- straight wins against your rival um, just absolutely great. So kudos to Dave Shondell and the rest of the staff there. Um, and of course the players, uh, on the volleyball team throughout those 20 years. I mean, it's just an incredible feat. And I think we, we had to at least mention it. What do you, um, what do you think about their nickname, uh, calling them the program? Is that their nickname? I think it should be. Oh, you're, you're suggesting. Yeah. Okay. You're trying what to you, start something. Yeah, so you're going Daryl Hazel, the furnace on me here is what oh, you're telling me. No, don't, don't sully my idea already. <laughs> huh. I gotta say, I don't love it. I don't okay. love your idea, but we can workshop it. We'll maybe come up with something else. Speaking of uh, Daryl Hazel, happy sixth year anniversary as mm. of this recording, eight, October sixteenth, to the firing of Daryl Hazel. Do you know it's a twelve year anniversary to something as well? Uh, something Purdue related, or yep, uh, I believe tw- I was at a Purdue football game when the news broke. Oh God, Robbie Hummel tore his ACL mm-hmm. for the second time. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Mm. The fact that I knew that. Yep. It. Some good things, like, some bad things on this yeah, day. Yep, it's a, you take the good, you take the bad. You take the both, and there you have the facts of life. Man, that's beautiful poetry. You just make yeah. that up? <laughs> yes, I did. I just made that up right now myself. I'm impressed. Um, so, six years ago, Purdue football uh, let go Daryl Hazel. Do you remember his record when he got fired? 
I saw a thing today. Uh, was it like 9 and 27? Uh, you were not too far off. He'd been at Purdue for just about three and a half seasons. His total record was 9 and 33. Ooh. And Ooh. and the fact is, he was 3 and 3 during the season that he got fired. So and they were mean, not, and, and those were not difficult schedules, if I remember correctly. Well, I mean, I, I can't remember offhand, but it didn't matter what the I think we lost was. to CMU, right? I'm the Central Michigan. Yeah, we probably did. Who even knows? Well, now that I'm happy, and yeah, in a good spirit. That's, that's so, great, Ledman. I know, I know. Um, there were there were two more things I wanted to mention before we took our break and uh, hopped into the the discussion of the victory over the Cornhuskers. So one is still related to the Daryl Hazel thing. So he was fired after losing a game to Iowa. Can you guess the score? Of that Iowa game. Ooh, 42 to 3. No, you're not. I have too no far, recollection of this game. Not too far off of Iowa's score. It was 49 to 35. So Purdue loses oh. by two touchdowns. That's but Iowa one of his managed, best offensive performances in right, his program. Iowa managed 49 points in that game. That is, have they scored that many this season? See, that is what I was looking up as you spoke. Mm. Um, so I am pulling it up right now. Iowa, of course, currently three and three. Let's see. Overall this season, here's their total: seven, seven, twenty. I uh, see the twenty-seven. Mm. Yeah, they've they've beaten it because they scored twenty-seven against Rutgers and twenty-seven against Nevada. So that's fifty-four yeah. right there. Um, but let's see. They've got sixty-eight, eighty-two, eighty-eight. They've scored eighty-eight points this entire season. That's. It can't be fun to be an Iowa fan. No, not great. First of all, I don't like Bud Light that much. Yeah. <laughs> or corn. Just yeah, bad to be an Iowa. Yeah. Bad and I don't know if you saw um, Brian Ferentz, of course, Kirk Ferentz's son, who is the offensive coordinator. Um, oh, he, good. Well, he definitely should have that position. I'm yeah, sure exactly. I wonder how he got on that job. He, uh, he had a press conference, uh, faced face the media the other day, and someone asked him if the fact that he was – Kirk's son had anything to do <laughs> with the fact that, you know, he had not been fired because because they were pointing out that uh, oh, who's the legend that asked this? I, I didn't know. I don't know the name of the reporter because they were pointing out that this was, you know, after Frost had been fired, after Chris had been fired, after ah. IU, after IU mm-hmm. fired their um, offensive coordinator. Didn't fire uh, their coach, though, did they? No, no. So <laughs> here is what Brian Ferentz said. Uh they, he was asked directly if he would consider stepping down. Brian said he wouldn't do that, and he wouldn't be able to go home and look his children in the eye if he surrendered. Adds that he'll always dig in and continue to fight. Because he has a bad back and they're really short? What? What? <laughs> I, I don't think that's what he was saying. Hmm. Um, but I mean... Daddy's a failure! Just like... Imagine, imagine it's, it's hiring cults. your, imagine hiring your son for a, you know, a six-figure job in the public eye, mm-hmm. and if he fails, you have to fire him. Like, what a terrible position for Kirk Ferentz, but he put himself in it. So I, I don't know. You don't have, to, you don't really feel sorry for him, but I do not. It is certainly an unenviable position. I guess um, they'll probably go down together, down on the same. That's ship. my assumption. Like, if they go, if if Kirk. Uh, does not turn this season around. I think a lot of folks in Iowa, even though he did just get an extension in the off season, don't they give him one lot, every season? They do. Okay. They do. Um, I think they're really tired of kind of just. He's stagnating. really old. Have you seen Kirk Ferentz like, I have, like on video? But I don't. 
or a I picture? Don't <laughs> I don't actually know how old he is. Um, uh, Google tells me he is 67. That's that's like he's sandpaper now, like, <laughs> like soggy sandpaper. It's I. It's not. You you kind of see this in a lot of college sports, especially because you know when when they have this kind of success and build up the program, generally it runs so well that you can keep it long enough to where eventually the coach like sixty seven year olds, sorry old people, but that's a lot of work and you have to remain very yeah. sharp. And yeah, I mean a head coaching a job of is energy. a Big Ten head coaching job, any D one coaching, that's a hell of a lot and, of work. And more I mean, than you're, that. You're, you're chasing down 16-year-olds trying to get them to come to your program. I mean, that does not sound fun and, to me. And more than that, every year that you're there is one more testament to the way you do things. But college sports don't live in that landscape. College oh, sports no. change. Changing I would say every five to ten years, it's an entirely yeah, new sport. It's a new game. And it's an entirely new way to succeed. So at one point, like you understand why they're stubborn about it or don't change or don't want to change because it's worked for so long. They've been yeah, validated they... their entire career. Yeah, and their bank account shows that. <laughs> yeah, their bank account. And, and I mean, even like, little successes along the way. And then all of a sudden, it's just like you look up and you're like, ooh, Grandpa. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, that I mean, supermarket hasn't been there for decades. I mean, I know we love Joe Taylor and we don't like to talk about the fact that mm. his teams at the end, I mean, they fell off. They just weren't the same. The game caught up to him. Defenses caught on to what he was doing. And his offense didn't adapt with the times as he got older and as he stayed at Purdue longer and longer. So he didn't really have the same success following really about 2004, um, you know, that season with Kyle Orton. And things slowly started to degrade. But no one will argue that Joe Tiller wasn't a brilliant football mind. And I don't Correct. think anybody will, will argue that Kirk Ferentz wasn't a brilliant football mind at one point, but the yeah. game just slowly does. I mean, year after year, it does pass you by. And at 67 years old, like what does he have to prove still? Why is he still doing this? Because like we said, being a college coach is like a cult. The amount of ego you have to believe in that you put around you that constantly feeds that. I don't think a lot of them can. T I mean, how late was Joe Paterno coaching? Oh the, God. These. And yeah, if there's anyone that should have been kicked out or just like, this is like Urban Meyer has his people around him and he brought all his people. And the reason it didn't work in the NFL, because there's only five to 10 like jobs in the world that are going to give you the kind of acclaim and devout devotion that a college coach will. Yeah. And it's hard to give that up. I'm sure because they, they love it. They yeah. probably uh, need it. And for the record, Joe Paterno was fired at the age of 84. That's insane. I, I just want to put this on the record because people listen to this, you know. I want to be known if I am 84 years old and still at a full-time job, mm. I want someone to come up to me and slap me in the face. Noted. Because what am I doing? Yeah, it's I... – Like the only, the only exception is if I'm desperate for money. Or at a like... Walmart and you just <laughs> need the social interaction. Because at 84, Even, everyone else has died. Yeah, everyone you know is dead. They're gone. Uh, but, like, at 84, what is what are you doing? Like, you don't need the money if you've been a college football coach that long. It's just so much effort, so much time. Although, allegedly, if you believe, you know, the stories that have come out after, Paterno wasn't doing a whole lot uh, last few seasons other than ignoring sexual abuse, which is a full-time job, in <laughs> fairness. 
it's usually me that gets to these places. Good job, Ledman. Well, I'm just saying, and you might want to bleep this. I'm not going to bleep um, it. That's fine. So one more thing. Yeah, that's probably good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one more thing before we go. Uh, Tom Fornelli, who writes for CBS Sports great name. Uh, and does a podcast. Fornelli. Yeah, got a great Twitter avatar. It is uh, Mr. Peanut Butter from uh, BoJack Horseman. So you love to see that on your timeline. After the AP Top 25 came out today, Purdue missed the cut. They wound up being 26th, uh, about 20 points down, I believe, from Tulane, who was 25th. He tweeted this, and I wanted to read it to you. Um, It was shared in our group chat. I'm sure you ignored it, so I'm going to read it to you now. Uh, Little blind resume action. There's no wrong answer. I'm just interested to see what you think when this is the only information you're working at. Both teams sit at 5-2. and Team A has won four games against FBS foes by 13 points per game against teams with a combined record of 14 and 14. Its two losses are to Power 5 teams by 6.5 points per game. Combined record of teams it has lost to, 11 and 2. Team B has won four games against FBS foes by five points per game against teams with a combined record of 15 and 12. Its two losses are to Power 5 teams by three points per game. Combined record of the teams that has lost to is 11 and 1. Now, mm-hmm. Team B, obviously, we recognize that is the Purdue Boilermakers. I thought Again. you were going to ask me to pick which one. Oh, no, I I, I should have, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, team A is Kentucky. Mm. Where Where is Kentucky ranked right now? No idea. They are ranked 19th. Good for them. It is good for them. <laughs> but Purdue remains unranked. Mm-hmm. Uh, despite the teams they've beat have a better record and the teams they've lost to have a better record. Now, That's, this... I mean, a little flimsy of how yes, we're doing this. Here, here's my problem with it and mm-hmm. what Fornelli points out on Twitter. Uh, Kentucky was ranked at the beginning of the year. Purdue was not. Right. If Purdue had been ranked 24th at right. the beginning of the season, they would probably be ranked right now. Mm-hmm. And it's just the lazy mentality of the polls that really gets me. Yeah, I just don't find it that interesting. It's, it's it's just human. Like, they're going to both... They don't want to admit they were wrong earlier, yes. and it's easier to keep admitting that they're ranked, so... No, you, hmm. no I mean, you are absolutely right. And we, all, and, You're absolutely and we right. almost lost to Florida Atlantic, so... Look, I'm not here to excuse almost losing to Florida we Atlantic. We could beat Syracuse. Then we'd be ranked. It would have been great. would have mm-hmm. been great. But it is so annoying that preseason expectations feed so much into how a season goes and where people get ranked. And you I know think it becomes an issue at the end of the year. I do. It does. I do. Why? Maybe it's not just for, committees picking teams now. Well, yeah, but maybe not for, you know, the top four as the college football playoff does, but for teams that go to the new year's day bowls or the higher ranked bowls, it matters to them because you know, while the ranking is not a part of it, you know, we don't really have the BCS anymore, so it's not something um, that is discussed, but it matters for what perception. It, matters. it was a weird, weird system. You got, like, what, 12 computers that mm-hmm. just have, like, different formulas, and they're like, I don't know, this guy over here who lives in Tucson, you know, uh, coded this computer to rank football yeah. games, and was, we trust him. It was AI's first attempt at taking over. Allen right. Iverson really did a good job with that. Wow. Wrong AI? That's such a bad dad joke. Are you having another that was kid not, right now? Because that's like no, double dad that was not a, That wasn't a dad joke. Yes, it AI was. AI was his nickname. Ha, Come on. Yes. You clearly... Oh, my God. That was such a dad joke. Fine. Okay, fine. I'll yield. I'll yield. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I just think the whole whole process is so stupid. And, like, with James Madison being ranked 25th last week, 
I get it's their first year in FBS and they were undefeated, but are you really telling me people thought they were the 25th best team team in the country? No, yeah, they were that's... a good story, so people threw them onto their ballots. And then this week they lose to Georgia Southern. So they were right if they would have won this week? Hey, we have talked. Georgia Southern, powerhouse. Third best team in yeah, the country. Yeah, they beat. So my thing with the rankings is these people who do it act like, or at least seem like, what they do doesn't matter because they're just like people putting numbers next to teams. But it matters for recruiting, it matters for perception. I mean, it matters for a lot of reasons, and I think a lot of people need to take it more seriously than they do and be able to admit when they're wrong, especially with those preseason rankings that ultimately are just more or less based on nothing. Um, So I will end my rant there. We're going to take a break, come back, talk about Purdue's victory over Nebraska. And we are back. So. Purdue finds a way to win another game, currently sits at 5-2 and two on the season. 43-37 was the final score against the Nebraska Cornhuskers. This, of course, after Purdue goes up in the first half 27-10 and finds a way to allow Nebraska to just chip back into this game. Chip? Yeah, like chip away at the lead. Yeah, it was a lot more aggressive than that. Well, okay. Like sledgehammers. Just yeah. Boom. Very, very quick drives by, ne- by Nebraska. 30-yard pass plays, you know, 40-yard runs. I mean, it was just, I'm sorry, it was a 60-yard run uh, mm-hmm. by Trey Palmer. And, it. I mean, it was just outrageous. Every time you thought Purdue had the game put away, you're almost ready to relax. And then, boom, Casey Thompson hits a, you know, a 40-yard pass. And, Nebraska is right back in scoring position and punches it in. It, I mean, it was just typical 2022 Purdue football. No, no other way to describe it. Yeah, it's pretty maddening when, like, you watch KT Thompson play and you think, hmm, not a very good quarterback. But you know what he is? Big arm. Oh, yeah, very big arm. So I would think the strategy to go against that would be to play deep with safeties, um, take out the outside of the field, and hope that you can just, you know, talk him into taking underneath plays, trying to run an offense, move it down the field slowly. Instead, we let um, maybe the best receiver in the Big Ten. It certainly looked like it. Yeah, uh, I mean, he, Trey Palmer he was... just one-on-one go wild, go deep beyond the uh, secondary. They only had five guys catch a pass. 354 yards, five yeah. guys. Trey Palmer, yeah, and, seven and, and catches. That's Palmer it. Palmer was the only one with more than three. 237 yards. That is 33.9 yards a catch. The longest play by Purdue was 31 yards. Yeah. He uh, averaged 34 yards. And we had no answer the entire I mean, game. It, it had to have been. I mean, and we, this is coming from a, a guy who's watched Rondale Moore and David Bell actually absolutely torch teams in recent years. The way Trey Palmer played against this Purdue defense was one of the greatest performances I've ever seen from a wide receiver. Now, I'm not saying he's the greatest wide receiver because the Purdue defense put up very little resistance uh, to what he was doing. But my God, it was like a virtuoso performance. As you said, seven receptions, 237 yards. He also had one rush for 60 yards. So he had 60 of their 122 rushing yards to go along with 237 of their 354 receiving yards. What an absolute incredible performance by Trey Palmer. Yeah, just... We make a lot of people look good going deep. So when they're already good, <laughs> right. it's a problem. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's concerning. 
we're we're deep into the season now and we seem to have no no response to this. Yeah, yeah. I know there's a lot of people who are like, well, this Purdue defense, you know, they're playing the the bend don't break defense, but I, that's the opposite what this of that. Is. This is the the break often and then play brittle for a quarter. Like I don't know what this defense is doing. Allowed no points to Nebraska in the first quarter. Allowed only a touchdown in the fourth. You know, not too bad. Uh, but then in the third quarter, 17 points. In the second quarter, 13, including a, a field goal at the end of the second uh, quarter when Nebraska had, I, I think, roughly 35 seconds mm-hmm. uh, after Purdue scored to go down. And they just allowed one one huge play. Suddenly Nebraska can put, put a uh, field goal on the board, and we're feeling a little bit less happy as we head into halftime. But whatever is going on with this Purdue defense at the end of halves and at the end of quarters – or I'm sorry, end of games is is just in affecting them more and more, and it's just maddening. I don't know what this secondary is doing. It doesn't help the Jeffersons out. Now. True, true. Hopefully he'll be back the next game. Um, as we said last time, um, he's taking a, a mental health break for one reason or another. Uh, we don't have many details, nor do we need them. You know, that's his his situation and it's his to care for. Um, but we did certainly miss him this game for sure. Yeah. So that wasn't great. Um. It's got to be scheme and players. We are over aggressive. Um, yes, we put a lot of guys out on islands that do not deserve that kind of uh, that kind of freedom. I, I don't know why we would trust any of our corners to lock down something. Yeah, that is a question I have as well. I mean, a lot of people are dogging the secondary coach, and I'm kind of there with them because we've seen what the secondary does each and every week. So why have we not changed? You know, these one-on-one matchups or or what we're doing really in the secondary at all. Um, why are these guys out on islands? How is our safety always getting beat? How do we always allow these wide receivers to get behind the safeties? I don't understand it. It's, it's yeah, that's a good question. Um, I thought, once again, our defensive line was pretty good. The only reason we didn't give up maybe 500 yards is we got to Thompson quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, the the defensive uh, defensive line did a pretty good job. A lot of a lot of quarterback hurries. Uh, I, I guess technically it was only two, but it felt like more than that. Uh, four sacks, five tackles for a loss. So really good job by the defensive line there. So we've got that going for us. It's just the back end. Just it doesn't like our only hope is get to the quarterback. That that's our plan. Get yeah. there. If not, I don't. I don't. I don't have a good answer. It's no, and I, something I'm not needs sure. to change, and I haven't seen any any indication that our defense is trying something out. No, and I'm not sure anybody really has a good answer. And it's so strange that our secondary gives up these huge plays, big chunk plays, over and over again. Uh, but also, we seem to consistently get turnovers out of the secondary. Uh, I mean, we had two interceptions against this Cornhusker offense um Clyde Washington had his first interception 15 yard return and Reese Taylor had one of the most athletic interceptions uh we've seen at Purdue in a long time uh jumping and twisting in the air to get that interception uh to stop to stop a Nebraska drive so the two of them really helped Purdue but other than that I mean we you know we're getting some passes defended but my god the chunk plays this this defensive backfield is giving up is outrageous it's not sustainable. Um, no, no. I mean, it's amazing that we're continuing to win. AOC was so yes good today. Yes, you and talked about it in the group chat. Six I, points. I want you to highlight how great he was. What exactly did you see that really uh, made you 
kind of talk about what a great game he had compared with how he started this season. So there's an old adage where... like I love old adages. Let's go. When you're talking about uh, QBs and whether they're ready for the NFL or not, and the big thing is, can they throw a 15-yard out route? And that means you have to have the arm to get it there because these defenders are yeah, going to break a, on it quick. Yeah. And that is the longest throw you can make on the field. Right. You also have to have the anticipation. You also have to have the accuracy. Aiden O'Connell placed about five to six balls on the side in spots where only his guys could hit it. The, the touchdown pass, um, but just like casual, there were three or four where these are 15, 20 yard plays. And he's throwing it across the field over defenders perfectly yeah. on the sideline where only his guy can put a hand on it. And he just does it casually. And it's an absurd amount of accuracy, arm talent. It's amazing this guy's a walk-on. Um, he, yeah. Uh, his arm was always pretty good, but he seems like a different player compared to what he was doing even when he first took over. Because that was a lot of inside stuff. He's always been good at uh, seam routes. Um, he anticipates well. I, I think the... The biggest difference when you see a college player and an NFL player is what is open. And Aiden O'Connell already throws it like NFL windows. If he has just a little bit of space, you saw it when he hit Charlie Jones on the uh, back corner throw. He's yeah, going to put it there. a great throw. He's going to put it there right away, and you better catch it. And to be honest, our receivers haven't entirely been up to snuff. No, um, they and they, they let him down in this game. Six drops? Yeah, at least. I, I think it was six drops. And it's going to happen sometimes. Um, Absolutely. I mean, he these does guys throw aren't it machines. very it hard sometimes. Yes. Uh, uh, he could probably use a little more touch. And it, it's weird to play with a quarterback who's putting the ball on you that quickly. Mm -hmm. So you're not really catching it in space like you're used to. Um, and at the same time, we got some play. Like TJ Sheffield's touchdown was incredible. Oh, Charlie Jones's touchdown. Yeah. All of these are only possible, though, with AOC. This is what we said we needed. And I think we thought we would need it to win against good teams. But apparently we also need <laughs> this kind of performance against Nebraska to win at home. Yeah, I mean, you harped on it um, the last couple podcasts about how AOC really had not looked like the player that we thought he was going to be coming into the year. Uh, he made some bad throws, uh, committed a lot of interceptions that we really thought he was better than. I mean, he had a pretty boneheaded interception um, in this game in the first half as well. Um, but after that interception, I mean, he really turned it around and made incredibly difficult throws. And I, I am not a fan of Matt Millen on the broadcast. Um I think the fact that that guy continues to get jobs in football after what he did with the Detroit Lions is just comical. <laughs> um, and, but he did, you know, uh, when they were showing replays of some of the throws that AOC had, you know, he did do a decent job of pointing out, you know, here's the defender he's seeing. He's got to get it over this defender and before this defender. Um, because as you said, there were multiple throws where AOC had to get it over one defender and to a specific shoulder of his wide receiver in order to be able to make the play. And he did that time and time again. And just what an overall excellent game um, for AOC. Probably his, I, not probably, definitely his best game of the season. Overall, he was 35 of 54, 391 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. Yeah, he had one bad pass, which was, it, it looked a little worse than it was because Aiden O'Connell was expecting his receiver to cut in. Even if the receiver does cut in, that was a ball launched up to double coverage. A bad interception. Yeah. yeah. Those things happen. Literally every other play, he was perfect. The entire night. Um, and, and The scramble yeah. for a first down? Exactly, exactly. What? He's moving a lot better in the pocket. He's still yeah. very slow, but his <laughs> legs, 
Yes. Tom Brady's very slow. Tom Brady is very slow. But he's good in the pocket. He knows how to operate. And I think the biggest thing with AOC playing more now in the last two years, he's getting comfortable in knowing how to get away and evade pressure, buy some time for his receivers to make plays downfield. Yeah, and you I oh, think the and, more you I think the more you play as a quarterback, the more you get a feel for where the rush is coming mm-hmm. from and you can shift around a little better and you can definitely see that in AOC as the year progresses. And can can you finally give Devin Mockaby some respect? Really? I don't know how long I have to be touting really? this kid as the next uh, uh, combination of Corey Sheets and Mike Allstott. But listen. Goodness. Listen. Of the two of us, I don't think <laughs> I I'm the one who needs I don't think he could do this. It's insane. I I think you should go and formally apologize for calling him too small. I he plays big. You were right. There you go. He does. There you go. Because let me just say, uh, my brothers listen to this podcast. I'm getting a lot of heat in my family group chat for the fact that you keep saying he might be too small. Uh, I swear <laughs> to God, after every after every play Maccabi had. Uh, in this uh, game, I got a text from my brother, who, by the way, was at the game mm. and took time out of his day. Oh, they really, they really did fix the cell service, huh? Yeah, they did. Uh, took his, took the time out of his day to say, "Man, that would have been a great run if he weren't so small." <laughs> Just every time, uh, he... I got that at least eight or nine times yesterday. I don't. I always find it strange that you know you see guys, you especially notice this with fantasy. You'll watch your running back and like. He gets like three handoffs, and every time it looks like a defender just comes and hits him right away. And then certain running backs come in, and you're just like, oh, there's a hole. Where where did the hole come from? What? They're just in the hole. And Maccabee has that strange ability. And then he doesn't go down. Like he's a buck ninety. Is that what we said? Yeah, yeah. That's he what doesn't go as. down. I I can't remember a time he got tackled by the first guy. It's yeah, absurd. I mean, he he did incredible. Uh, he had over a hundred rushing yards in the first half alone. Wound up with 30 rushes for 178 yards, one touchdown. Long of only 18, but man, he was out there just working, uh, and it was great to see. Um, it, it was obvious. Yeah, I, it, it, was, it helps. Helps. Nebraska was Nebraska very scared. Very bad. They were very scared. Um, I think the first, the entire first half, pretty much, they had maybe five guys in the box. It was very clear they did not want AOC to beat them deep. Right. And I, credit to Mockaby because just had a lot of success. Yeah, and better Good mean, to in, see in theory, that's... back out there, but I don't well, want to see him anymore. In theory, this is what the Jeff Brom offense is supposed to do. You're supposed to make them scared of the pass so that they're, you know, they're focusing on that, and then you can at least build some sort of running game. Obviously, he we has know a Jeff... great play action package. He does a great job getting the linemen and everything to shift to one side. Yeah. And uh, we saw it, uh, I believe it was to King Doru. I believe, yeah. yeah. Play action to the left. Everyone over-rotates the left to start. Yeah, and then Forcing the defense to, the right. to run back right, and then King just kind of got left there. Yeah. And he was wide open for a 32-yard gain, so. Yeah, and this is this is Doru's first game back. Uh, missed about four games, I believe. He only had eight carries for 31 yards. Uh, long of nine, but they put him in good situations. Um, he had, I think at one point four carries and three of them were for a first down. So just from a mental perspective, I'm sure that was good for him to get him back into the mentality of going out there. Uh, but I mean, I think there's no question in either of our minds that going forward, Devin Mockaby has to be your number one back. hundred uh, percent. Yeah. Playmaker. Just, yeah. It's, oof. I, I, he's, is he a freshman? Yeah. He's a walk on freshman. That's absurd. 
Like, I mm-hmm. think we have our running back for the next three years. Yeah, and the fact that the guy turned down a scholarship from Navy to come walk on at Purdue is kind of a, just a crazy situation. Bet on yourself, people. Yeah, yeah, and my assumption, because there's been no announcement about him getting a scholarship. He will definitely get a scholarship. Yes, of course. But I'm assuming at this point there is no scholarship available for him. Otherwise, they would have given him one by now. Um, I There must just simply not be one available um, to hand out at this point. Yeah, I don't um, know how that works. Well, I mean, you know, you only have you a gotta, certain number. you got to wait them. until you can have the video to do it. you got to think exactly. of something clever. Some exactly. Arrest him for... Uh, yeah, you got to be like, well, Devin, we're going to have to kick you off. You know, you, your grades have been failing. Like and then, hey, felony. come on up. Yeah. Uh, so, Purdue, now 5-2 and two on the season, sitting at 3-1 and one in the conference, tied atop the Big Ten West with the... Illinois fighting Illini. This is, this is we are in the dark timeline. Yeah, we're in the upside down. Uh-huh. This is, this makes no sense. Uh, if you we're technically gone, we're our 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 bold prediction of two losses. It's technically on the table. I tweeted that because someone said to me uh, on Twitter, you know, you look ahead. We're five and two, five games left. In theory, we could run the table on these five games. And I said, that's exactly why Casey and I picked a 10-2 and two season before the season started. Our, our two losses will just be wrong, but we'll have the right record. Um, Purdue heads to Wisconsin next week. Uh, Wisconsin just lost to a not-great Michigan State team, but it's always terrifying for Purdue to play Wisconsin. Haven't beat them in roughly 20 years. But, I mean, this Purdue, this Purdue team, not great but finds a way to win when they have to. Uh, also finds a way to lose. Keep that in mind. Um, but tied atop the Big Ten West with Illinois. And if you would have gone back in time seven weeks and told me, hey, Purdue and Illinois are going to be tied for the conference uh, division lead, I'm not sure I would have believed you. Yeah, but now we get to go to Wisconsin, so. Mm-hmm. We're, gonna, yeah, so- we're, we're either going to – we're going to – Fall to old cliches, or we're going to take down some demons. Yeah, we're going to exercise some demons, I hope. So uh, anything else you want to talk about with this Nebraska game? Because I want to leave on a high note. I don't want to leave thinking about the upcoming game against Wisconsin where bad things might happen. Purdue is 5-2. and two. You know, we're tied for first in a division. Let's let's go out with some positive positive vibes. What? Our receivers are getting healthier. Abdur Rahman Yassin played, didn't play well. Um, but Mershon Rice was out there again. Yeah, I, I still don't know who well. the Sawinski kid is. Where, yeah, where did yeah. he come from? Don't know. Okay. Don't know. First, really, just all of a sudden his... we have the short, like five eight white guy. Uh, he's six foot. Is he that big? Six... He's listed at six foot one ninety five. Okay. Um, but he had, I believe, all in all of twenty twenty one, two receptions for fifteen yards. So far in twenty twenty two, five for forty one yards. His his first reception of the year was seven yards against Maryland. So hmm. he's uh, he's really come on in these last couple of weeks. Brom must see something in practice that's that's given him faith in this guy. Yeah, I mean, weapons are weapons are weapons. Yeah, that's right. So. That's right. So you know the receiving core is coming on. Purdue has found a running back who we think we can ride the rest of the year. And AOC just had his best game of the season. So you know yeah, what else can I, I think you ask that's for from the offense? If AOC is playing this well, we are in every game. Mm-hmm. And that's that's all you can want. Yeah, I mean, we talked about at the beginning of the year, the offense, we're going to go as far as AOC and the offense can take us. And if AOC plays like this and we've got Maccabee playing, you know, 178 yards um, a game, you know, this offense can do anything against anybody. So 
let's hope they can keep it up and we'll head into Wisconsin next week. We'll talk about that midweek for you folks. Boiler up. Boiler up.